does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. If you're a Hoosiers fan, you're anxious for the start of their conference tournament play, but thanks to that double bye that they earned over the weekend, don't have to be in action until Friday night at the United Center. We're joined by Trace Jackson Davis, star of those Indiana Hoosiers. Nice enough to make some time with us here on a Tuesday. JD. Trace, how are you? Yes, sir. How are you guys doing? Doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank doing you. Well. Thank you for making time for us today. Want to jump in Right away, looking back at senior night for you, Indiana obviously wins seventy-five to seventy-three in overtime, twenty-seven nine, six and two for you in that matchup. Trace, I'm sure there were a lot of emotions throughout that game, particularly senior night for you. What did that matchup mean to you, and just in general, your senior night ceremony uh, for your last game at Assembly Hall? Um, it was <clears throat> it was huge. Um, I think just first and foremost, getting the win. Because um, Michigan, they're a really good team. They're playing really well in the Big Ten play. And then, um, obviously, it's emotional. But um, just having my teammates, being with them one more time in Assembly Hall, um, just no, not taking any of these games for granted this year and walking out, running out on that in that stadium one more time, um, just trying to soak it all in. Tracer, Coach Fife here. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you, Coach? Hey, um I, I, uh, I'm doing great. I, I think um, one of the things I've been impressed with you throughout the year is your numbers have continued to climb, and the numbers I'm talking about are mainly points and rebounding. Very rarely do you see that your point points and rebound climb in conference play, and what I'm getting at here is you flick the switch, and I think you flick the switch in a way that you haven't done up until that point, um, up until this point to where – Right around the start of the main body of conference play, your numbers began to explode. And my question really is, is what, what led to that? What has really transpired, you know, in terms of what you've done to flick that switch? Um, I just think the biggest thing um, for me was um, our team and um, just having the team that we did this year with X going down, race getting hurt. I'm having some young guys thrown into the fire. I knew that I was really our only leader out there um, and been through this. I've been through this the last three years, so I kind of know what was going on. But um, I just think that at the end of the day, my teammates were uh, looking for me and they were um, just trying to – well, let me rephrase. My teammates were – my teammates were um, relying on me yeah, and um, I mean they've always have, but um, it's just bigger moments. Obviously, we got some new pieces around us this year as well. Uh, they've done a great job giving me the ball, but I feel like also I've been hunting rebounds. I remember Coach Wright, me and you talked about it last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you wanted me to average like twelve to fourteen rebounds a game, and um, I just think that I was getting easier buckets. I was getting offensive rebounds, getting putbacks, stuff of that nature. So it's so it's giving me a lot more opportunities to score the ball. And then you know how I am, how I'm a rhythm player. When I start scoring and getting easy buckets, I start doing more. And so I think that was big for me. One of the things that I talked about 
um, last or, or especially after your win over Purdue at Purdue, Tracer, is the fact that your your maturity. You weren't exactly involved offensively scoring, but what you kept doing is you set great screens. You rolled your butt off to the rim. And the other part of it that that really impressed me was the fact that you did your job against Zach Eady. And by that, I mean you didn't commit silly fouls. You kept your big butt in the game. You caused him a lot of problems scoring. And his numbers might have been good, but I thought you did a really good job of neutralizing him. Um, I want to shift gears here. I I want to ask you about – moving into the Big Ten tournament where it's one and done and then the NCAA tournaments where it's one and done. What are things that you've learned over the course of your career and especially last year? You know, we made a run all the way to the semis last year in the Big Ten tournament and got an NCAA tournament victory under your belt. What are the things, what what are important things that you think you can convey to guys like Jalen and Malik going into the one and done one and done time right now? Um, I just think that um the biggest thing is you just got to play under control. Um, don't get sped up. I think also just play as hard as you can, leave everything out on the floor, and just take the game one possession at a time. Um, you can't dwell on mistakes. You can't let them just uh, add up. Uh, you just got to stay level, and I think Fino's done a really, really good job of that this year, um, especially for being a freshman. And then Malik's been coming along as well, so we just got to keep doing what we're doing, um, taking one possession at a time, one game at a time, and see where we end up. I think that's what we did last year, um, especially after Michigan. Um, we kind of got some confidence, and um, we just rode that out. Yeah. Speaking of Fino, what what has Jalen Hood Shafino brought to your team? Um, Jalen's um, – obviously he's a great player, but um, not only that, but his maturity – um, for being a freshman, it's just it's crazy. Um, just throwing him into the fire, being having X out and having to play uh, like the lead guard and the point guard when he's really a two, um, and he's handled it really, really well. And um, he's also a leader on the team. Um, he's a guy that just um, he'll try to talk, he'll try to say the right things, try to get his teammates going, and he's a real floor general, and that's what we need from him, and he's done a great job. Final question, Tracer. Who's the best dancer on your team? The best dancer on our team, I think it's slight edge to JG, but I would put Trey up there as well. I feel like Geronimo really has just a couple moves, go-to moves. He doesn't have a lot of, um, you know, there's not a lot of different things he can do. He's got a couple moves that that he sticks to, and I'd like to see more of a uh, a diverse palette in JG's dance dance moves. <laughs> No, absolutely. If we win the Big Ten tournament, I'll tell them to surprise you. Okay, okay. And you're going to win that Big Ten tournament because you're going to bring it. Yes, sir. Trace, last question on my end. You make the decision to come back one more year. You mentioned this a little bit in your senior speech, but what are the expectations you set for yourself this year? Still plenty of basketball left to be played, but have you met that area? And where do you still want to go, both team and individually, uh, as we approach win or go home territory? Obviously, the goal for us is um, we got to take it one game at a time. But um, the Big Ten championship is national championship is what we want. Um, it's not going to be easy by any means, but um, I feel like we have enough pieces that we can get it done. We just got to take it one game at a time. Um, Coach Five knows a little bit about that. Um, they went on their run, and um, so we're going to try to try to do it. Um, everyone's locked in. Everyone's engaged. Everyone's ready to go. 
Trace, appreciate you making the time for us. Uh, enjoy the rest of the way until your matchup on Friday, and we look forward to watching it all unfold. Yeah, Tracer, remember, pad those stats on missed free throws on the re- on the free throw line. You can pad those rebounding oh, stats, all right? Yes, sir. Thanks, Trace. See you, Tracer. All right, see you guys. Inside the DriveHuber.com studios, here on the Fan Midday Show, Jimmy Cook and Dane Fife, Eddie Garrison, behind those ones and twos. Thanks so much for spending part of your Tuesday afternoon with us here on The Fan. Joining us next, one of my favorites in the world of college sports. He's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. You find his work there, as well as on Twitter, at ByPat40. It is the aforementioned Pat40. Pat, how are you today? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. How are y'all? Doing great. Thanks, as always, for making the time for us. Pat, championship week is upon us. You have, obviously, the 40-yard dash rolling and your 40 minutes column on sportsillustrated.com reference a number of different questions leaning into championship week one that caught my mind you mentioned how officials are going to handle refing big men you mess you mentioned oscar shibway and i thought initially with that headline oh, it was going to be because big men like shibway or like zach Eady on Purdue's side uh, are often getting whacked left and right and there's no there's no whistles that follow because how big they are but in this instance it's the other way with shibway anyway it's the physical and aggressiveness with which he plays how big of an issue will that be both fouls they commit and fouls that are committed against them for the big man both in conference championship week and in march madness upcoming i think it's going to be a big issue uh we've got more good big men in college basketball than ever probably because or at least going back you know 50 years because they don't go pro uh if you're not of a certain prototype and so you've got a lot of really good big guys, and they can wreak mayhem inside. And, yeah, some of it is being inflicted on them, and some is them inflicting on others. And with the uh, preoccupation, I guess you would say, about high elbows, uh, blows to the head with arms, shoulders, whatever, I, I just think we're going to have like 9 million replay reviews in the next <laughs> three weeks as – we, uh, we all go Zapruder film over every single time anybody raises an elbow, and they just got to be consistent and get it right. That's, that's the biggest thing. It's going to slow down the games, but if they're getting it right and making the calls they should make, then okay. But I, I fear this is going to be a pretty controversial topic. Pat, you aren't in the realm of bracketology necessarily, right? You're, you're covering the action, both from a, not just a human interest standpoint, but the game-by-game standpoint. But one of the biggest areas of concern amongst fans in this state is where Purdue ends up from a seeding standpoint. For the longest time, it felt like, well, maybe that one seed is a lock for them. And now, as they close the season and more teams have continued to hang around, Houston, Alabama, and Kansas are almost assured that one seed. You mentioned this in your 40 minutes of who will grab that last one, and you referenced Purdue and you referenced UCLA. In your mind, how much of the conference tournament and the deep run that might follow for either of those teams impacts who gets that last seed? Is it who wins the conference tournament? Is it who finishes better? Where are you measuring that at? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, just from the um, the committee standpoint, they, you know, it's not the kind of thing they want to leave till Sunday afternoon and be like, ah, let's see how the Big Ten championship game goes, you yeah. know. So they like to have their work done as early as possible, although it's more who's in the field and then the seeding comes later. But still, you know, I have a feeling 
they'll want to have that wrapped up certainly by Saturday. The big the Pac-12 tournament finishes Saturday, usually late. Uh, we'll see whether Purdue is still playing. We'll see whether UCLA is still playing out west. Um, they may already have a, a predisposition. They may already think going in, this is the way we want to go. But but I would have to think that the possibility exists that if one of those teams you know, takes a quarterfinal knockout and the other one makes the championship game, that they may – that may be a deciding factor. Um, now, either way, it may not be a huge difference, but from a geography of where you're starting, which region you're in, uh, and then, you know, the sheer mathematics of there's only been one 16 seed that's ever beaten a one seed, you know, you do want to be on that top line. It's a close call. Uh, I agree. I mean, I thought UCLA, I'm sorry, Purdue was, was a lock number one seed and perhaps the number one overall seed a few weeks ago, but they've, They've wobbled a bit down the stretch. Pat Forty, Dane Fife, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well, Dane. How are you? I'm doing great sitting here with Jimmy and Eddie. Hey, uh, guys, little known fact. I, Pat Forty, as of probably a couple years ago, wasn't even the best writer in his family. What's Mitchell Forty <laughs> up to? <laughs> Mitchell Forty is still a sports writer. God help him. He's the black Gosh. sheep of the children. Um, he's working for Athlon Sports. Uh so he's grinding away, doing a lot of football stuff. He was all over the combine, and uh, he's he's still uh, still typing for a living. Unfortunately, the next superstar in the business. Hey, uh, Pat, um, what what's your what's your take on the expansion, uh, perhaps, of the NCAA tournament? I think it would be terrible. Um, I think it would be an obnoxious, insulting money grab that everyone would see through, you know, that it's just simply a way for more power conferences to get more teams in. They already get uh, a, an extremely high number. And, you know, one of the reasons they get a high number is because of the way they schedule. And they increasingly get more conference games, fewer non-conference games, fewer non-conference games where you will give a chance to someone like, say, a North Texas, a Drake, an Oral Roberts, to come play in your place or that certainly you're not going to go play them there. So I I don't want to see it go to 70. I don't want to see it go to 72. I don't want to see it go to 80 at all. Uh, But I think we're probably going to get some expansion because Mm -hmm. the the money people always win. Mm -hmm. Why is, why is the big 10 struggled to really make hay, make waves in the NCAA tournament last national championship, Michigan state 2000. Yeah, I don't know. I, I that's a great question. Um, you know, I mean, there's been plenty of really good teams, good programs, um, and just not an ability to finish. Whether it's been, you know, Michigan to a couple of Final Fours, whether it's been Michigan State, Ohio State's been. You know, it, it, it's pretty mystifying because clearly the commitment to be good is there. Uh, the players usually are there. The coaching usually is there. Uh, so, you know, whether it's, it's – at this point, it should be more than – it's more than bad luck, right? This is 23 mm-hmm. years we're talking about. Mm-hmm. There's there's something missing, and I can't really for sure say what it is. Uh, but the proof's in the pudding and in the bracket. And, you know, this year there's going to be a ton of Big Ten teams in there, but I'm not sure there's many national championship contenders. Right, right. Well, here's, here's, here's a big question for you, and you can only pick two teams. You've got Michigan – You've got Rutgers, and you've got – oh, shoot, who's my third team? Penn State. Okay, Michigan, Rutgers, and Penn State, you can only pick two. 
Welp, all right. To get in the tournament, I would say let's see who wins at noon <laughs> on Thursday between uh, yeah. Michigan and Rutgers. And it's funny, guys. Uh, I mean, I remember because I was there. They were going to play at noon on Thursday three years ago, and they got pulled off the court, and the mm. entire season ended right then yeah. and there. Yeah. So at least they're going to play this year. Yeah. Hallelujah. Um, and I think winner advances, loser goes home. Wow. And then we'll see if Penn State um, – if they win their first round game and, and maybe they get in. So I don't know. I mean, Michigan to me has the least stuff on the resume uh-huh. of those three. But if they beat Rutgers, that kind of feels like an elimination game. Pat, that kind of leads into my next question. Pat Forty, nice enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. You can follow him on Twitter at ByPat40. We talk about bubble drama and where – those last spots can be squeaked out. Most bracketologists have the conference anywhere from nine to 10 bids, regardless of how the big 10 plays out tournament wise. Is that where you see the structure of the conference being in terms of representation about nine to 10? Probably so. You know, I mean, I think it is the most interesting bubble conference because you, you have those three that you mentioned and then you have Wisconsin, you know, still hanging around there. Uh, and, boy, I mean, Wisconsin almost completely blew it at Minnesota the other night. But uh, I, I think so. I mean, that's a lot of teams. Yeah. And sometimes I watch and I'm like, man, I don't want to see all these teams in the tournament. <laughs> but, you know, they, they've got the resumes that I think will probably put them in there. Um, now we'll see, like, if, if Charleston loses tonight um, – in the CAA final, I would hate to see Charleston not make it at large, and so that may knock out a Big Ten team. And then you've got the potential for bid stealers in all kinds of leagues if somebody jumps up out of nowhere and wins a conference. Sticking to the Big Ten for a second, on the Purdue side of things, they've come up short, had some heartbreaking losses over the last couple of seasons. When you look at this team and their body of work, is this finally the group in your eyes that makes that final four run again i know i told this to dan earlier you have to include the caveat of well what does the draw look like but but if they end up being a one seed in theory uh, that's that's the ideal spot to be if you want to make that type of run yeah i'm kind of scarred on purdue uh, proclamations because last year <laughs> i was all in you know like i just thought with Jaden ivy yeah. and with the size and everything and the experience i thought that was the year to do it and then when the bracket breaks open and they're going to play uh, St. Peter's in, in the 16, and you're like, oh, it's happening, it's happening. And then they did, you know, they didn't, didn't do it. Now I'm like, I'm, I'm just not sure I can ever pick this team to go that far. <laughs> but boy, I mean, you said the last couple of years disappointing. The last, oh, yeah. 45 yeah. years or so. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you want to go back, heck, you can go back to Rick Mountain's sixties if you want. I was but, trying to be kinder, but yeah, yeah that's true. That's yeah. that old. Yeah. Yeah. That was there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great program that just can't get over the hump ever. Yeah. And so you got to figure, look, Matt Painter's a great coach. Yep. They've, they're going to be consistently good, and you keep knocking on the door, eventually it opens, but I, I don't know when. Pat Forty joining us of Sports Illustrated. Pat, I want to look at championship week as a whole. We've talked a little bit about it, but I know you're, you're constantly live tweeting it and following all of it. Uh, on the mid-major side of things, what – you, I know you mentioned College of Charleston tonight. Where is your eyes the rest of the week tracking conference tournaments, particularly on the mid-major level? Yeah, um, Charleston really intrigued with them. Uh, Drake's already got their bid. Yep. That's good because I think they're really good. Um, 
Florida Atlantic is intriguing to me, and Conference USA. There's three good teams there. There's them, and there's North Texas, and there's UAB. Um, FAU, I think if they don't win that tournament, still going to get in. But uh, So that could be a multi-bid league. Um, trying to think where else out there. You know, they, the the Horizon Final is going to be fun and wild and entertaining probably. I, I'm not sure either of those teams, Cleveland State or Northern Kentucky, wins a game in the next round, but they could maybe make life uncomfortable for somebody. So, you know, there's, there's always a lot to watch this week, that's for sure. I think there's five bids decided tonight, so that's going to be a lot of fun. And big picture on the Bayer Conference. I know we talked about the Big Ten, but uh, we had Seth Greenberg on yesterday. Dane had had the goal to ask the North Carolina question, to which Seth Greenberg uh, swatted that away. As you look at other storylines, big conference-wise, what are you tracking? Yeah, well, I mean, North Carolina, I think, is they, they, unless they win like three games, make the ACC final, I think they're out. and They wow. would be the biggest bust in the history of <laughs> preseason number one teams. Uh, yeah, I mean, going back, they were going back to – 1962, none of them has ever missed a 68-team field. That's for damn Jeez. sure. Um, you know, the other big tournaments, I, I'm going to the SEC. I want to see how Alabama ha- handles having 13 fan bases just vilifying. <laughs> uh, that's going to be pretty sassy, I think. Sassy, big 12 is going to be word. probably the best basketball in terms of competitiveness because they got the most good teams. Uh, but can anybody knock off Kansas in Kansas City? Don't know, mm-hmm. um, and then you know ACC. I shoot that you you, you want to talk about a bunch of teams that are just kind of okay. Yeah. You know, is can a, can Miami or Duke? I think Duke's probably going to is the most talented team, and I think yeah. they probably can win that. But still, I'm waiting for somebody in the ACC to show something. Pat, give us your winner, your overall winner, and your dark horse if you can. Um, boy, right now. Again, all this bracket dependent, but but uh, I'm going with Kansas. It's an unimaginative and same here, Pat. To a degree, to a degree kind of annoying, but yeah. I mean they're just they're so well coached and they yeah, just they, you know they, they agree. get into it's unbelievable. They get into close games and they just know what to do and they execute and they're tough and they you know they they find ways to score. That you know they're just unbelievable. Their ability to just throw the ball inside and get baskets when they need baskets. Yep. So yep. I would I would start with Kansas. How about a dark horse, big fella? Dark horse, I would say who um I want to say Texas, but I'm not sure they qualify as a dark horse. They're going to be like a two seed, so that doesn't really count. Yeah, it's possible. Uh, possible. How about Marquette? Now, I like that. Marcus Smart's had a lot of first round losses, a lot yep. of first round losses, but He's also been to a Final Four with an 11 seed. Tyler Kolek's a great point guard. Sure is. He's a young Dane Fife out there. Uh, and, you know, they just – I love their style, and yeah. they've, they've had a great season. We'll see what the draw looks like for them. But they got great uh, size, Pat. I just watched them play. Yeah. I watched them play Butler the other day. They, I just couldn't believe how big they are. Yeah, yeah. They, great they, size. They, they can stand up in the middle against about anybody. Pat, I know you're the wearer of many hats year-round with the college football and basketball season. He's got such a great shelf. He's got such a great dude. He doesn't, he doesn't need, he doesn't he doesn't need, need to, wear to wear the hats, right? More, more, of, more of a metaphorical it, hat in, in, he knows in, in, in it. this sense. He knows it. 
just finished up with the, just finished up with the NFL Combine. Obviously, you track the college football season as well as anybody. Colts are very hungry to figure out who their quarterback is going to be. I want to start first SEC-wise. One of the biggest knocks on Anthony Richardson is his accuracy. That isn't something that's going to be changed from a hype or a scouting standpoint from the Combine, but he did have one of the more electric Combines in recent memory at the quarterback position. Your overall thoughts on the Florida product? Yeah, he's no Dane Fife, who was a quarterback, I believe, at Clarkston, Michigan. Wow. Keep going, keep going. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I am very much wait and see on Richardson. Yeah. I, I just, I'm wary. His accuracy is so sketchy. Uh, he's so raw. You know, I, I mean, could he be the next Josh Allen, where all of a sudden he just flourishes? You know, the the coaching kicks in and he just gets way better. Yeah, but there's also a lot of quarterbacks like him who don't get better, and they're just not accurate passers, and that's it, period, and that's not going to fly. You know, you can you can trick up an offense in this day and age to do a lot more things with a quarterback other than just have him stand in the pocket and throw. You know, you look at Lamar Jackson, who was an NFL MVP, uh, and this guy's a physical freak, but you still have to be able to deliver on third and eight a bunch of times during a game and during a season. And I just don't know whether I see that out of him. Is the Bryce Young height and frame thing overblown? I, I, I think you can't go wrong with Young or Stroud in my mind, but I found myself defending Young over the last couple of weeks because I, this is probably me simplifying it too much, but it feels like there's so many good billables on his end that this is his Joe Burrow small hands thing, even though the height and the frame probably do matter a little bit, but is it being overblown? Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of on-field production, I think he's the best guy in the draft. I really do. I mean, he's a gamer. He's a winner. He's a playmaker. He's smart. He's fearless. He's relentless. Uh, the question is, yes, can he? will he also be on the shelf after eight games because he's hurt? I, I, you know, I can't answer that with any certainty, but, boy, I, I like him more than the other quarterbacks, that's for sure. You know, and this is the time of year. This this is what people do from now until May <laughs> is obsess over every measurable, and his measurables aren't great. But and you have to actually play football, and if you put on actual football, he's really good at it. On the defensive side of things, even though the Colts are likelihood taking a quarterback, uh, where jumps out at you in terms of the number of prospects you covered this year that have their name in April's draft on the defensive side? Well, I mean, you know, just at the very top with Will Anderson and Jalen Carter, I mean, they're both just magnificent physical players, uh, but there's obviously issues, especially with Carter now. I mean, you know, major issues. And Todd McShay got bashed pretty hard for bringing up character concerns, but uh, you know what? There are character concerns with Jalen Carter. And uh, Will Anderson uh, had – I, like after last year, I was going to say he's the absolute number one pick. I don't care what you need. Then this year, he was disappointing. There were games he did nothing. There were games where his biggest contributions were jumping offside or overrunning a play. You know, uh, so I, I was really kind of really disappointed and shocked, kind of by his year. Now, you know, maybe his mind wasn't right because all he was doing was thinking about the draft, but. If I were an NFL franchise, I would now be taking a second look at him and saying, gosh, I I don't know. So, you know, everybody's got questions right now. Nobody's a sure thing. But those two guys should be 
a sure thing in a vacuum, but we don't play or live in a vacuum. Yeah. Pat, last question on my end, switching back to the basketball ranks. We talked a little bit about Purdue. On the Indiana side of things, you look at how this team closed the regular season. Uh, Dane and I made a little bit more confidence on Dane's front that they can win the Big Ten title or win the Big Ten Conference Championship, rather. Where do you see this team going once we roll into March Madness here next week? I like them. I do. You know, I, I, I think they've got the talent to do it. Um, they've got size. They've got some versatility. You know, they've got, I think, enough athleticism. Uh, you're counting on some young guys for sure. You know, I mean, you need Hood Shafino to, to play really, really well, but he's capable. Uh, and then some other guys too. So, but you know, I mean, I was talking to a coach of a really good team last week, uh, and he said, "There's no Baylor this year." Looking back to 21, he said mm-hmm. Baylor was the best team, and Gonzaga was the second best team, and nobody was going to beat them. Uh, he said that's not the case this year. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think it was the case last year. It was a little more wide open. This year's more open than that. And I tend to agree. I think that if you're Indiana, you go into this tournament and think. Sure, we can go to the Final Four. Why? Are there, you know, maybe you don't, but you have the ability, right. and it's not like there's some monolith standing in the way of you. Yeah. Pat, where are you at this week? I will be uh, at the SEC tournament listening that's to people boo Alabama. <laughs> that's right. That's what I thought I heard. Um, well, Jimmy? Pat, thank you for making the time. Safe travels to you. Looking forward to following the coverage. And uh, actually, one last thing. We've been debating this uh, throughout the day and trying to – give it to our listeners uh, pat this is the even though it's the the appetizer to the big dance this is arguably the best time of year with all these conference championship finals no oh man the thursday and friday of this week are just yeah those are my favorites even more than the thursday and friday of the ncaa tournament although wow. at least in those it's it's truly win or go home yeah, and you do yeah. get some great cinderella stories but i mean noon to midnight really noon to 2 a.m out west You've just got really good teams playing really good teams in all the big conferences. And, you know, they're all sick of each other. They've, most of them have already played twice. There's anger. There's animosity. There's drama. There's competitiveness. So I just I love the end of championship week as much as anything. Well, enjoy every second of it, Pat. And thank you again for You're making the man, time for Pat. us. Thank you. All right. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. That is Pat Forty, senior writer for Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at ByPat40. You hear that music? You know, it's the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS 4. Fresh off the NFL Combine coming to town. Right back on, maybe not Chappie, but the Colts fan base back on the rumor mill. Back trying to hunt for those nuggets and get closer to what the Colts are going to do. Chap, before we dive into that. What do you think Chappie runs his 40 in? Chappie, you ever been tested for your 40 time? <laughs> No, uh, maybe back when I was in high school or at Ball State playing Gosh, baseball. But other than that, negatory. Do, do you, if we can pry, chap, in your prime, you, you remember where, where we're at forty wise? Slow. <laughs> Go for you that. Know, but yeah, I, I was a pitcher, so how fast you have to be? Yeah, fair point. Fair point, chap. Before we get into the meat and potatoes of the combine and the different rumors on price tag for the number one pick or what the Colts are going to do. Coaching staff finalized. You obviously covered that on Fox 59. Colts formally announced it on Colts.com. Your thoughts on how Shane Steichen pieced his staff together as a whole? I mean, I mean, you have to think it's pretty good. We always think the staffs are pretty good. I, I remember in the past, whenever they would change a receiver's coach or whatever, is it? Well, this guy, 
he really works on detail. So, yeah, he's going to be a good group. It all depends on, you know, what type of players are you working with. And you can make you can make good players really, really good. I'm not sure how you make marginal players. <laughs> right. or, you know, I, it, it's a player's league. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and as you know, as a coach, you can only do so much with what you got. But encouraging. I like the fact they brought back the defensive staff because it's one less thing for the coach to worry about. It's a little bit, it'll be a concern for the change of special teams because Bubba was really, really yeah. good. I mean, the, the his five years, they, they, they were roughly were, were a top 10 team at worst. And one year they were like second or third or fourth, whatever it was. So that's a, that's a big loss. And we'll see the new guy, Brian Mason, what I think he came from Notre Dame. Yeah, if if I'm all these names run together, I don't think he's coached the NFL level. I don't think so. We'll see. Uh, but th- these are guys that 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 the guy is 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 comfortable with. I'm glad Reggie's back. First of all, that's selfish because I really like Reggie, <laughs> right? And we, we'll get him like once every other week or whatever on, during the season, and he's always he's just he gets it, he, and he's really good at interacting with the media and giving you information without giving you away state secrets. I like that. And is the offensive line coach, is, is he going to get this group fixed? Because it's broken. And they can say whatever they want. It's broken. And whether that, again, is you can coach that back, I don't know. Something was missing the last year and a half, maybe two years. I thought it was amazing that Jonathan Taylor ran for 1,800 yards and 20-some touchdowns. And the offensive line overall wasn't very good. Yeah. So it, it, we'll see. It's about players, and I want to see who they add in the next month, six weeks, two months uh, to see if this team's got a chance. Mike, I know it's not necessarily your decision who the Colts could can draft, but I feel like you've got the experience to and the understanding of of um, what it's going to take. What what were some takeaways as far as the QBs? Because we had you on last week, and you you it self admitted that it was all about the QB for the Colts, right? What were some takeaways this week at, from the combine related to the, the QBs? The, all, all three get it. I mean, at different levels. Uh, Bryce Young was sort of I don't like the word calculated. That that's just bad connotations. But but he was very poised. On point, had you know, he certainly ha- has been on the stage before talking to the media, and, and doesn't say anything outlandish. C.J. Stroud was was such a great interactor. He, he he just gave good answers, and he was very comfortable. I thought Will Levis sort of tried to be, I don't know, he, he you know, I want to be the greatest of all time, but I want to win more championships. Okay, I, we get it, but you know. Yeah. You know, why don't you, you know, get with the team first? Anthony Richardson is going to be such a, a wild card because, my goodness, he set all these records for all-time quarterbacks in athletics. You know, the four, the 400 or the, the 40 and, and the high jump and all that, which just tells you is, which is what the tape shows is this guy's a freak. 245 pounds, 6'4", uh, and, I know. and in the four fours. And everybody says, though, that he is a project, which, yeah. okay. And uh, my, the question is, how much of a project? Right. You know, are we taking? Are we talking two years? Are we talking three years? I'm not sure Chris Ballard's got three years. 
you know, and, and the fan base may not have, you know, have the patience maybe for three years. So I don't know. And, and again, if, if one thing people need to realize is the, 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 the more the, the draft pick is, is a project, the more important is going to be to, to sign a veteran free agent quarterback who can keep this place afloat until that guy's ready. So, you know, I, I don't know. And, and you listen to all these guys from the different teams, and, and they're all blowing smoke. I mean, you, I, I mentioned to somebody last, maybe the JMV, that when you get to these things, it's during this part of the season, everybody lies. It <laughs> <laughs> gives you half-truths or whatever. A guy could go to the combine, a GM or a coach, and absolutely tell you exactly what they're going to do and no one would believe them because it's at the point of the season where everybody – it serves no purpose for Chris Bowden to say, yeah, we've done so much you know, work, and this is what we're going to do. Why would you do that? You, you, just, you don't. So uh, anyone – and I do believe this. I always said that anytime you read something that says, my Colts sources tell me this, it, it's BS. It just is because, like I said, they run such a tight ship out there that – uh, there's only, you know, there's a, a small circle of people who know what they're going to do. I mean, you're talking a small circle. You're talking the GM, the head coach, and on all their support staff. But they, they just, through the years with Chris Ballard, they just don't leak information much. So how they got these guys eventually ranked, aligned, and, you know, if they really, I've always said, if they really, really, really like one of these guys, I mean, to where, hey, this is our guy for 10 years, then you go up and get him. You just do. If there's two guys, you go, you know, you put yourself in position to at least get one or the two. If, if all four of these guys are like, eh, you know, yeah, this guy's a little better, this guy's not too bad, then you stay where you are and get what you get. You're not going to give up the farm for a guy that, you know, maybe. No, if they're, if they're convinced, they will go get him. If they're not convinced – they're not, and the fan base can just deal with it. Mike Chappell of Fox 9 and CBS 4 taking some time with us. Chap, we were debating before we had you on where the pecking order lies in making this decision. I, I think you would agree that in terms of the broad scale of the entire draft, Chris Boward's going to have a heavy amount of creative freedom working in, you know, in, in a synergy standpoint with head coach Shane Steichen. When you look at that quarterback slot, Let's say there is polarizing thoughts or conflicting thoughts on what to do with that spot. If Jim Irsay has to step in, where do you think he is taking the most into consideration? With Boward being on a potential hot seat this year versus Shane Steichen, who he wants to likely arm with the best possible quarterback. Is one getting more sway than the other in those discussions in your mind? Yeah, good question. I I would think that Ballard and Steichen will come to some meeting in the minds to where this is the guy we we mm-hmm. like yeah. and, and we can move forward with. And cause I, I, I just kind of think that's the way it works. They're going to watch the same tape and go over the same things and they're going to have the interviews. And I really think they're going to be able to agree uh, 98% that this is a guy. This is our order. It's 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 young, it's Stroud, it's whatever, or, or it's Stroud and it's young, whatever. I think they will. Now, the wild card's going to be is if the owner says, yeah, but I like this guy. 
I, right. that, that's that's where you're going to get in trouble. You just are. Because yeah. this, this isn't, yeah, I like Peyton Manning. Yeah, I like Andrew Luck. That, that's not what you've got. Uh, no one's even remotely saying that these guys are that. So uh, it, it's I say it's easy because but but it wasn't because there was discussion over Manning and Leaf and somewhat lesser with, with Luck and RG three. But boy, if since since Ursay made the decision to you know in, in Chris Ballard I trust moving forward in in, in the most you know important off season you know in in maybe a decade at least going back to Luck. And if you if you're saying I trust him to fix this, to fix what what's broken, then I, I think it would really be detrimental to the franchise for the owner to say now we're going to go with this guy just because I you know I've done my own research and I like it. Now if if you trust Chris Fowler to be here, then darn it, you, you need to trust him to pick the right quarterback because he's going to he and Steichen. And the personnel staff are going to do all. They're going to do all the heavy lifting. They're going to look under every rock, and they will make their decision solely on on what they see and and what they evaluate. Whereas the owner may, you know, yeah, he'll he'll watch tape and all that. His may be more emotional. And boy, that's where you, as we've seen, you make decisions with your with your heart, and you're probably going to make. Be, be wrong more than you're right. So I, I would hope for the with the fact that they that they brought Chris Ballard back when, when you, you they they very easily could have just blown it all up, and no one really would have argued too much. But the fact that they brought Chris back, then darn it, let him do his job, or fire him. I mean, it, it's just you know counterproductive to to say this is what this guy's job is, and and then in 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 this situation to to go against. His judgment. You trust him, so then trust him. Mike, for the sake of maybe me trying to piss you off, uh, that's all right. If if the Colts decide to do what I think they should do and go a veteran QB route and oh, wait please. until oh, next God. year, <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Let's say they stay at number four. Yeah. Where do they? What, what's the next move for the Colts if not a QB? Oh, if they stay at four, they still got to be a QB. To me, I, I boy, how do you? I, I don't know how. I don't know how you stay at four. Now, I guess if you stay at four and the three quarterbacks, not just but there's four quarterbacks. I just don't know how you 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 tell anyone what you're doing if you're there at four and you take the, a, 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 a great pass rusher and you're yeah. going to get a good defense yeah. there. You are. Yeah. You are. But but then the question is going to be okay. But but what about quarterback? Right. And he's not on the roster. It's not. You know they're they're going to get rid of Ryan and Foles yeah. one way or the other. And Sam Ellinger. I don't know. I don't know. But then you're going to draft a quarterback at in the second round, third round. I think I yeah. saw there's maybe five or six quarterbacks that are that are people think they can do it. The, the kid from Tennessee with the bad knee that's coming back from that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But then you're but then you're really if you do that, let, let, let's go your route and say they do that. Then the, then next year is going to be about again the veteran guy. Who's your veteran guy? And and it's not the I guess it would really be the, to be the bridge again. And I boy they're just We've seen what that's done, and, and 
I know how the owner is, is just sick and tired, although he's had a hand in this. I mean, he yeah. was all in favor of Matt Ryan Matt as Ryan. well. Yeah. So, But he, he wants to bring in his own and develop his own. And to me, that's the first round, not the third or fourth round. Right. I mean, I, I don't want to select the guy in the fourth round and say, I think this guy can be pretty good in three years. Well, you, you haven't got that long. So I understand that, but it, it doesn't look like it's going to be a great – you know, who – who are you going to bring in as your as your next free agent, veteran free agent? I mean, again, Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston. We've been, we've been down that road so often, and it worked with Philip Rivers, and that's about it. So I just that's an argument you can make, but it would be so much easier to make the the counter argument because I just think that there's an exhaustion of veteran quarterbacks. Although, again, I th- there will be a veteran quarterback here this year. There will. There has to be. But not to be the, the, the no-doubt guy for next year, and then we'll see. I, I just I would be beyond stunned if they come out of the first round without a, without a, a quarterback. I, I, I've been surprised before, but that would really shock me. Uh, Chap, like you mentioned, Mike Chappell joining us, Fox 59 and CBS 4. Here on the Fan Midday Show, Chap, I know you've mentioned that it's basically like a Fort Knox in terms of information over at West 56. Uh, they were able to do that with the coaching hire, and we assume it'll be the same with what they're going to end up doing with this pick. But Dane brings up an interesting point in terms of if they do stand pat at four, not just whether or not it's a quarterback, but regardless of who's on the Colts radar, let's say for the sake of argument, it's one of Stroud or Young. I know I'm making you kind of look into a crystal ball here, but if they get outbid or if they miss out, and they're at four, and Levis and Richardson are who is left available. I mean, obviously they'll have a scout on everybody, but do you think it's right. that desperate to a point that they're going to settle for one of them? I, I I don't think Chris Batter likes to settle for anything. Right. That, that, and, and that's where it gets interesting. Like I say, if, if they believe, and this is all going to hinge on what how they rate these quarterbacks, not how right. Mel Kuyper or Jeremiah or Todd McShay, that, that, you know, those are cruel to watch. It's about how they do it. And if, if they think there's the top two guys are the only two worthy, then maybe they – I just – yeah, in, in this regard, maybe Dane's right and they, they don't go quarterback, or at least at four, yeah. you know, if, if they don't believe those guys are worth that. But then, boy, you better you better have a fallback. You, you better have – you know, are, are, then are you going to trade back to – if you trade back, you're going to lose those two quarterbacks because somebody's going to take those four quarterbacks right. top ten. It's maybe wow. top six. Wow. So, so just because that's the desperation of the position, if they don't, if they don't believe those guys are worth it, I, you know, okay, then go and get you the best player, and you're going to get a really, really, really good player that just is not not a quarterback. But boy, then what's your answer? Then, then, and 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 they've, I guess they've got to go through all these scenarios if if that's what they believe then if there's not the quarterback there that we're not gonna that we're gonna pay a a, a top four pick on then then where do you go for your quarterback what, what do you do you're not gonna get Aaron Rodgers you know and you're not gonna you know you're not gonna I don't think going if the Ravens put the non-exclusive tag on Lamar Jackson you're not gonna give two first round draft picks and you know quarter of a billion dollars guaranteed <laughs> to him. So, I, you know, if, if you do that, what's your plan B? That's what I need to know. Right. Because they are they are just worn. They are flat worn down 
by this this one veteran after another after another, and they gotta they gotta quit that. They really do. But interesting point though. How quick when free agency opens here in a couple weeks do you expect it to be on the Colts front? I mean, obviously everybody's gonna be you know having within the, the, the allowed tampering period or everybody's going to be within those conversations. But once it opens up, how quickly and what are you looking for, not just signing your own, but but outside personnel beyond the quarterback position that you want to get done by this organization here in the coming weeks? Yeah, I mean, it, obviously, the initial is who you're bringing back. Are you going to bring Ngakwe back? Are you going to bring Paris Campbell back? Chase McLaughlin, to me, you know, just do it now. Get, that, get the kicker signed. He's not, not going to cost you a ton, relatively speaking, because if you don't, once those guys get out there, yeah. it's generally they don't come back because somebody's going to probably overpay them. From what I've seen, it's it's not a great receiver market, so maybe Paris Campbell gets more than what you're willing to pay. You know, Ngakwe to me is interesting because he he gives you eight, nine, ten sacks, but this past year it just I just didn't come away thinking, boy, this this guy really gave him what they wanted. He, he, he was at force every game. He sort of came and went, and when he went, there wasn't much there. But if you don't resign Ngakwe, then who are you going to sign? So I, I think initially, who are you going to resign of your own? There's four or five guys, EJ Speed, uh, th- th- that I would try to get done, keep them off the market, which means that would happen a day or two before the 15th. And if you, if you lose guys, you know, if you lose Paris Campbell, here we are again. You, you need a veteran receiver. If you're going to bring in a rookie quarterback, you better give him more receivers than, than what you would have without Paris Campbell. And I'm not saying Paris Campbell was all pro last year, but but he was pretty good mm-hmm. with that passing game. So see who they sign initially of their own. And if after that, I don't think, you know, by Ballard's routine, they don't get in there real quick. And, and get big ticket guys. Maybe you sign a a mid level guy, but the mid level guys normally wait until later to see if they can get more. So initially, who they sign of their of their own. Chap on the running back front, not necessarily from a free agency standpoint, but from that position being pretty expendable in the modern NFL. I thought still with this last couple of years, you'd see somebody like Derrick Henry be retained with how important he is to the Titans. It, obviously, it's just rumor mill right now, but the Titans are allegedly listing offers to him. The Giants might not tag Saquon Barkley. The Panthers moved on from uh, shoot, it's gone. Why, why is it gone? McCaffrey, McCaffrey thank you. Uh, moved on oh, from yeah. McCaffrey uh, this past season. Jonathan Taylor is still underneath team control. I, I love Jonathan Taylor. I love what he brings to the table. But when you see a name like Henry, who is as core to that team as Jonathan Taylor is to the Colts offensively, looking at how that market goes, the Colts are either this season or next going to have to make a decision of if they are of the teams of this era or if they truly value where the number would be for Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, that, that's going to be interesting because, you know, on top of that, you've got Michael Pittman. You know, this yeah. off season is when you normally re-sign those guys to extensions. Yep. Uh, and and player wise, Jonathan Taylor is the better player. Yeah. He just is. He, he, I mean, he just is. And that's not throwing shade on Michael Pittman, but it's going to cost more to re-sign Michael Pittman. You know, I mean, it probably starts at twenty million. Do you, do you see him as a twenty million dollar player? I don't know. And again, if not, then then you're replacing him. 
with somebody that might be more expensive or another draft pick, so all of a sudden you're young again. So really interesting. I was thinking the other day maybe, and it would really piss the player off, but maybe you just have Jonathan Taylor play at his contract. When he, then we'd be grossly underpaid, grossly underpaid, and then you franchise him for a year or yeah. two. Uh, it, because, again, the, the problem with running backs is that generally their, their shelf life is not very long. Yep. But doing that, all that's doing is exploiting the player, and that's not what the Colts have done in the past. They, they've not just, well, we can do this because we can. We've got mm-hmm. the hammer. Yeah, that, that would not be the way to do it. But will they do both guys this offseason? It would have to be somewhat to the Colts' numbers, and it might be harder to re-sign Michael Pittman to what it would take than Taylor, just because you're talking, you know, twenty twenty million probably minimum for Michael Pittman, and and, and Shane Steichen's going to have some input on how he views these players in in Philly before they got all these great players this past year. They got by with like you know position by committee. You know, running backs by committee type of thing. So, really, really interesting. I, I'm really curious how Chris Ballard handles re-signing a second-round receiver and a second-round running back. And you know, people tend to forget as great as Taylor is, they took Pittman first. Yeah. Mm. Chap, last question on my end. Since we last talked to you, it's been reported that. Ryan Poles and company in Chicago are, are seeking in the realm of and think they could get three first-rounders for their pick uh, at number one. In your mind, not just from the, the, what the Colts would do, but in your mind, is that your line? Is that too rich for your blood, giving up three first-rounders and assuming it would be a couple other picks here or there to move from four to one? Probably. And one thing I always do, it, 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 I guess it would be three first-rounders. I mean, was it uh, – Polls apparently told Peter King, you know, would flip picks and then get yeah. a. I think we can get a twenty-four to twenty-five. Well, yeah, it's three picks, but but you're getting one back, so you really it's really two sure. really two first-round picks. But still, I thought all along we talked to Daniel Jeremiah, you know, in our network a couple of weeks ago, and he he projected the Colts give you know flipping picks and then give them a second, and then I think giving them a first round next next year, and that would be enough. Even with the Bears, I think even even giving the Colts back a four. I thought, boy, that's not very much. And but at the same time, with again the season we're in, maybe Ryan Poles is trying to pump up the, the market on his own. Yeah. Well, I've got somebody that told me they'll give me this, that, and the other. Maybe they did, and maybe they didn't. Again, if <laughs> if, if GMs, with all due respect, if, if GMs, it's kind of like with teenagers. If their lips are moving, they're probably <laughs> lying. So, but but they're going to get they're going to get a lot. I think if, if if Ballard believes that Young or Stroud is the guy, I, I don't want to say you you do whatever it takes because giving up two extra, giving up a twenty four to twenty five first round pick is awful steep, awful steep. But if you, all it takes is like Carolina, be willing to do that, and then you either do it or you lose your guy. So it, it's going to be a lot of cat and mouse and and. and and secrecy and, and misinformation, but the Bears are going to get a good haul for that first pick because they don't need it for a quarterback, and there's five or six or seven teams that do need it. Purdue, Indiana, or the field? Who wins the Big Ten? Purdue. You know, I, I, IU drives me crazy because <laughs> there are times they look so good, 
And then who did get rolled by the, a couple games ago? I, Iowa. I was at Iowa. Oh, I was like, okay. Holy crap! Yeah. And and Purdue seems a little more steady and boy, and they got the one thing that that no one else has got. They got Zach Eddy, and and my goodness, he he is such a, a hey, difference we have an maker. Eddie. What's that? We have an Eddie too. We've got a <laughs> Eddie, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but we had a huge debate. Uh, Eddie seems to think that you're a big Springsteen guy, and Jimmy thinks you're a Seeger guy. Oh, I'm 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 Seeger. See, I'm older time. I'm I'm Seeger. I'm I'm Brian Adams. I'm, I'm uh, Brian Mellencamp. Adams, uh, yes. That kind of thing. I can do I, I can do some of Seeger, but I'm not. A, I don't go to. And I saw him when he was in town ages ago. Uh-huh. But I don't I don't sit there and when he plays songs that aren't popular. Yeah. I don't know. The, I don't know the words to them. You go with the popular but, Seeger songs, but otherwise, yeah, I was here. Seeger was here. Was it five or six years ago? Wow! And I went to that thing, and boy, it was great. Good, it was good just concert. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I'm an oldie goldie, and I stick with my oldie goldies. That's not old, Brian Adams. Mellencamp. That's, pretty, that's back in the '60s, isn't it? <laughs> no, Brian Adams. '70s, '80s. Really? I mean, yeah, Brian Adams. Uh, Mellencamp. Those are yeah, 80s. It is funny. I mean, we're talking I, I the four tops. You're putting Dane into a, into Buddy a crisis of, of age here, Chapman. Yeah, yeah no, listen, listen, Buddy Holly. Uh, <laughs> Those are oldies. Uh, I'll chime in here. Brian, Brian Adams was the 80s. Yeah, no okay, question. My wife and I have gone to see Mellencamp three or four times, and then the, the, the more recent you've seen him, he wants to do his newer stuff. Yeah, man, that's. I don't want to hear that crap. I, I want. I want. Yeah. Small Give me the town. Jack and Diane yeah, Jack and the and Diane. pink houses and all that stuff. That's yeah. That, Check that's it out. Yeah, Play I the agree. hits, baby. Yep. That's right. Chap, time hits. Thank you as always. Appreciate your time. Look forward to talking next week. The man, the myth, thank the you. chapel. It's the deed, Mike Chapel, Fox fifty nine, and CBS four taking some time with us.